welcome to This Girl Cam, where we chat to wonderful women doing fabulous things in pharma. I'm Liv Nixon, and today I have the pleasure of not one, but two fabulous women joining me on my virtual couch. I'm delighted to be talking to Melanie rassos Hayde and Audrey Krasnitzer of Nova Nordis today. Melanie is Vice President of Finance and Commercial Excellence at Nova Nordisk, a senior leader in pharma with 10 years industry experience in a variety of finance and commercial roles across multiple geographies. Audrey fuses over a decade of pharma industry, strategic consulting and marketing agency experience in her role as the Global Director of Multichannel Engagement at Novo. I first spoke to Audrey a few months back and her excitement and enthusiasm for the podcast was so fabulous. Within minutes, she said to me, you have to meet my boss, Mel. So meet her, I did. And we had the most inspiring and uplifting chat about the possibilities for women in leadership roles, how sometimes people have got it so wrong, but how wonderful it can be when we get it right. I'm hugely excited to get into this conversation. So let's get going. And hi, Audrey. Welcome to the show. Hello. It's fabulous to have you both. This is the first time we have ever done a double interview. So we are seriously putting my interview technique skills to the test today, but let's see where we get to. It's an absolute privilege to get both of you at the same time on this podcast. So thank you so much. We talk a lot on the show about mentorship. I talk a lot about sponsorship. A couple of weeks ago, I had on Izzy Gladstone from PA Consulting. And she talked about male allyship. One of the things we've not covered really in any true detail is this, the female side of allyship. And that's why you're both here today at the same time. You are two incredibly successful women with your own stories to tell, which I absolutely want to get into. But I also want to get into the relationship between the two of you how it's come about, how it's matured, and the perspective from both of you in terms of what it has meant to you. How does that sound? Fabulous. I'm Exciting. Let's go for it. (laughs) Make it happen. Okay. Mel, I'm going to come to you first. So if you could tell us a little bit about your story, your personal story as well, and of course your professional story and how you came to be at Nova Nordisk. With pleasure. Thank you. And thanks so much for having us. And I know that I owe the pleasure also to Audrey because she brought me into this. So that's going to be fun. So yeah, I'll tell you a little bit more about who Melanie is, how, you know, how I am, where I am, and maybe also what goes on in, in my head. I have a lot of thought uh, and I talk a lot. So it's, I think, but when I think about it, what has defined who I am is, I think as for many people, the family I grew up with. I was actually, a, I have two younger brothers, I have four cousins, so I was in a quite you know, male environment. I am, I'm very sporty though, I'm very competitive and you may think that I got it from the boys, I'm not sure because I was the oldest, at least in my family. So when I talk to my mom, since she thinks that I was more the one that set the pace, but just to say that that has been quite natural for me. I also like subject like math, some people may think or science that that is more male. For me, that was just what I thought was fun as much as I thought it was fun to also draw. And I was a little bit into arts, which nowadays I feel like a long time ago. <laughs> I studied at the University of St. Gallen 
So I stayed in Switzerland for my undergrad. And that's also, it's a very, used to be a very male-oriented environment. More than 75% of the students are men. But I have to say that there were, it was the first time in, the, in my life where I also actively seeked to have other women around me. So while it didn't bother me that there were so many men, there was also, I really enjoyed having a close group of, of women around me. And we kind of founded a, a small you know, club where we also took the opportunity to talk about other things and to also kind of share the female perspectives on business because we started business and, and what we cared about, but then also just have had fun together and like drank a lot of wine and just chatted. I think that was the first time that I also, I think more actively understood how important it is to have good women around you that can be both your friends. I think often it, this also turns into friendship. I think in the case of Audrey, we started as, you know, I'm her boss, so we started in a work relationship, but we've become friends over, over the period. But there's just this importance and to open up that you have people you can trust. And I think that extended into, uh, into my job. So I joined Novo Nordisk more than a decade ago in a finance traineeship. So I stayed with this more, you can say, I mean, yeah, more men-oriented environment. And it, it was funny when I joined and I, very shortly after, there was a finance meeting where, you know, the top heads of the company from, a, from the finance organization, and I didn't know who they were. So I asked my boss at the time, who is that group? And he's like, ah, that's the global finance leadership team. And I, and I was like, ah, oh, interesting. You know, you only have men. And he looked at me and he smiled and he was like, oh, well, you know, that's here for you to change. And so I was like, it's a good ambition. And I, again, I didn't think so much of it. I didn't think whether it was up to me to change or whether there was a good reason why there were no women or not, but it, it was a fact. And uh, I think especially early on in, in my career, it felt it was a lot was driven by merits and how much, also a lot of effort and how much hours you could put into the day. And my hours had 24 as all the others, but there were many hours that I had. I, and there were not that many other obligations that I had. So I, I put a lot of focus also into my work. So it was only until a bit later when I actually worked in investor relations, where it was, where my gender all of a sudden became a topic. And where I felt that because I'm the woman, and I was the first woman actually ever to hold that such a role in Novo Nordisk, that I wasn't taken seriously in the beginning, at least. Not so much by my peers, but actually more by also by some of the investors. And that was difficult. And it took also a bit for me to understand what was happening because I hadn't really been exposed to it before. It was, it was hard to put it into perspective and, and understand what, what it means. But I'm also a, I'm also a stubborn person. So I, I, to some extent, I was like, you know, just because I'm a woman doesn't mean that I cannot do this job. So I was like, okay, I'm going to prove you wrong. So I tried to spin it into something positive. And I think I, I got there. Well, in fact, I know I got there. And then having done that, I also, I think that's the first time where this allyship or also kind of paving the way for other for me became a topic because it was really important for me that while I was the first, I didn't want to be the last woman in this position. And I have not been because after me now, there's always been a woman at part of the team. Sometimes there was more than one and now it has become 
more normal that's the case. And I discovered a little bit that beyond the passion that I have for the job that I do, I really love actually our company. I think it's an awesome company where you get plenty of opportunities to develop, to grow. I've worked in different countries and all of that. That I have another, actually something that I'm very passionate about and is to make sure that we as women come together more and that we make it easier for each other, but also for the next ones to follow. And I think that's also really what I've dedicated more and more effort to. And that's also something where I'm about to change the role within the company. And in my new role, I'm going to become the CFO of one of our regions. And if I look at my team there, it is to a large extent men. And there's nothing wrong with that, but I truly hope and actually also I'm convinced that having a woman also in a position like that, that I will enable other women to also come and into that region and also hold some of those important roles. So that's a little bit about me, how I got here, and also I think why the whole aspect of allyship and how we come together as women has become a topic of interest actually for me when in the beginning I didn't want to talk about it because I th thought it didn't matter. Yeah. So obviously your background is very much finance, like you said. What attracted you to pharma? Was it you found Nova Nordisk or was there always a, an urge to work in, in healthcare? So there was a period of time in my life where I wanted to become a doctor. So there's always been that interest in science and in health. Yeah. I then realized that being a doctor might not be the best way for me to do it. But it, I was, it was a very deliberate decision that I'm going to use my skill set in the healthcare industry and not in banking or anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go on and get a little bit about your background now, Audrey, and then we can bring it all together. So, so tell me, first of all, Audrey, oh, tell me about your background. What brought you into pharma? What brought you to Nova Nordisk? And then we'll talk about when you met Mel. Yeah, there's, gosh, these intros are always funny, right? Because I can give you so many different threads to, to weave together. For today's conversation, I'm going to pick two threads. First thread yep. is how I ended up in pharma and how I ended up at Novo. But the thread I think that is most relevant is why is this topic interesting and a passion topic for me? And that thread actually picks up about five years ago. So I'll give the quick and dirty to my backgrounds, but the more interesting part is what happened five years ago to put me in this chair today. Quick and dirty is that I, similar to Melanie, wanted to go pre-med. I wanted to be an OBGYN. Actually, I love babies. I love babies. So I wanted to just like deliver babies for my whole life and like be a doctor with babies. And then I went to university and after my first chemistry exam, called my dad and said I was dropping out of school and I was done with it because this wasn't what, like it just seemed so much harder than I was anticipating. My dad laughed and said, no. Oh, by the way, this is college in the U.S. where you pay for it. Small liberal arts <laughs> college, so you really pay for it. And he basically said, nope, you are paid for the first semester, so you're sticking it out. Then I figured out a new path, and I went a very different path. I went more liberal arts, but always close to sciences in the sense I had like a physics cluster or a chem cluster and things like this. But 
I was really into archaeology. So Latin, Greek, ancient history was kind of my specialty, if that's even, yeah, it is. That's what I was a major in. I leap into not knowing what I want to do with my life. So I leave, go to Ghana and I teach for a year, expecting the universe to tell me where I should focus my energy. The universe doesn't deliver messages like that, which I quickly figured out. So annoying. ended up working in New York. Yeah, I know. Like, where's like purpose? You know, just like sprinkles down on you when you deliver goodness to the world. Doesn't happen. Like that it turns out. I end up in New York after a couple of pit stops. End up in New York City working for a comms agency, where I worked on basically publications planning for pharma companies. And that was the first time I saw marketing strategy at work. And I saw marketing strategy at work in the sense of understanding what launching a product looks like when you have a really clear medical communications plan. So at the time, it was Riveroxaban for J&J. It's five years before this product is going to launch. And they are looking at like health economics data and where they're going to publish it and what doctors they're going to have write their New England Journal of Medicine articles and like just... It's all of these different pieces and how it came together. And then the head of marketing saying, well, this data is going to be really helpful if we want to file for that indication. I mean, was like, whoa, this is all connected. Anyway, light bulbs go off. I work in the agency world in New York across different functions, started in publications planning, went into speaker bureau activity. So HCP management, basically speaker training, digital marketing, the whole kit and caboodle of the agency span, always in the pharma space. And then meanwhile, jumped into getting my master's in basically strategic communications. So it's marketing, essentially. Then we moved to Switzerland. So I ended up in Switzerland and I ended up working at a consulting company where I had like seven rounds of interviews with this company. And I think round six, I'm sitting in front of a partner. I'm telling him, about like this is going to be the job for me like it's an international company like i'm i want this job okay and by the way at this point i have an eight month old baby at home so now i'm really excited to get back into the workforce and it wasn't pharma and i was excited about that so i tell them oh i'm actually looking to leave the farm and they go well that's interesting that you say that because we're actually interviewing you specifically for our life sciences team now what do you think and i'm like Backpedal, backpedal. <laughs> so I say, well, my challenge with pharma isn't pharma. My challenge is that it's not changing. I have ideas. I see opportunities for change in how we're using digital marketing to engage our customers, but pharma doesn't do it. So it's stuck and I'm getting frustrated. So if you, consulting company, tell me, you're also going to be an advocate for that conversation, I'm in. But if I'm going to have the same roadblocks I've had for the last eight years of my agency experience, I'm, I'd like to explore other teams. So anyway, I end up getting the job. And that's what I did for four years in consulting was I was always in the life sciences space. And I had like the cool thing about consulting is you get a lot. It's like a condensed career basically so i was sprinting through different projects and commercial strategy and digital marketing and all these different spaces i worked as a brand manager for a year and i did a lot of different things always in farm anyway have a second baby 
And then with that second baby, it's time for a lifestyle change. And I find Novo. So interviewed, did that whole thing. And here I am at Novo. So I've been at Novo for about a year, almost a year and a half. Okay, so that's the thread, how I got to Novo. Yeah, we can dig into that if we want. But what I really want to tell you about is what happened about five years ago that puts this topic on the radar. Five years ago, so back in my like consulting days, intense. And I say that I guess I have a lot of, I have a lot of feelings. Intense. Now, I've said it's a condensed career, which is great. What's not great is when you're the only mom on a team. What's not great is when you're trying to keep up with a bunch of 20-somethings that don't have families. And as much as a company tells you to advocate for women in business and family, and they're going to give you all these special allowances, which they did. I had a fixed work from home day before that was normal. And by the way, that fixed work from home day ended up being me on the client site still. I just had a nanny at the house rather than my kid at daycare. So there's as much as there's like, yes, we're here to support you. I, my internal motor, maybe, I mean, there's a, it's a, I still don't have a good answer for this. Who is responsible for the crash? Is it the individual with this strong internal motor who doesn't know how to set their own boundaries because they think they can keep going? Or is it a manager's responsibility to say, slow down. Like, we see you, you're great, you're doing awesome, and you still have a kid at home? And pause, just pause. We don't want to see emails coming out of you at 2 a.m. for four nights in a row. Stop. So anyway, there was a crash. There was a point where pregnant with my second child, it was very difficult. And my doctor basically pulled me out and said, you need to step back. So I did. And in that mature, like the pregnancy and then having the baby, I started to wonder how do women actually do it all? Because I've been struggling and what does a good balance look like? And like I'm mid-level management, but what about executive level management? How are they doing it? And I interviewed women. I started, I was writing a book. I thought I'm going to focus on this whole thing. And I started interviewing a bunch of women across, like from Google, from pharma, from consulting, like all kinds of spaces. And what I discovered is that we all struggle with the same thing. They just developed muscle to get through it. How do we embrace anxiety? For me, I was swallowed by anxiety and I was over, like overdoing it. For them, they embraced anxiety and let that be their fuel to push rather than feeling afraid of it. And also to be the fuel to setting boundaries. And for me, that was where the challenge had been. I didn't feel empowered to set certain boundaries because what's going to happen when I say no? I'm going to get overlooked for things. So I find Novo or Novo finds me, one or the other. I'm supposed to join in January. And in October, my team has an offsite. And Melanie says, I know you're not coming for another three months, but that's fine. Do you want to still just like meet the whole team? So we have this team offsite and this team event. We're going curling, okay? And the whole team, like everyone knows Melanie real well, right? And they all gel real nicely. And something about being competitive comes up. And everyone goes, oh, man, Melanie's the most competitive. She's so competitive. And this woman does not hold back for a second. She's not worried about, like, 
is her competitiveness going to come across as too edgy or she is her full self and i was like okay that's awesome that's awesome never for a moment was and i but here's where i'm going with this her being her full self in that moment was like a red carpet for all of audrey to also show up at work yeah and like I can be competitive. I can set boundaries. I can do all these things. And it's, oh, not only is it okay, it's welcome. It's a please do it because we all do our best when we bring our best. And that was like, for me, it's just been this, like when we talk about female, it's being our best selves, our full selves, because that opens the door for the other women ahead of us next to us behind us to also bring their full self and we we all kind of need even these executive women that i was interviewing during my maternity leave there were still moments where they're asking themselves the same questions that my insecure self had been asking yeah and it's like i mean that's why this community is so important it's because you need a safe person to say was that i'm not too much right there am i no no you're not too much you are spot on keep bringing it for me, sometimes that's it. But men also need that kind of like diplomatic cushioning every now and again, you know? So it's more just, um, yeah, I'll pause there. That's much feel. That's how I ended up where I am. That's why I love this topic. And that's also why I wanted to bring Melanie into this conversation because it is like, what does it look like when we bring our full self to work? The contrast from where you were to where you are now, I think is pretty totally. spectacular. So just Probably. before we dig into that a bit more, I need a clearer picture of your family setups now. So are you both married with Melanie? Do you have children as well? Are you married? How does it, what does your life away from work look like? Yes, I am married happily with Philip and we have two young boys. There are three and four and a half. And they definitely inherited my level of energy. So Audrey's kids are a similar age. So we also hang out all together. Oh, do you? Oh, that's not It's sweet. But it's awesome seeing. Because you know how, like, in a professional environment, you can wear your, like, power woman hat, right? Where, like, you're organized and you have, like, structure and all that. You add kids to that mix. And, like, it doesn't matter how organized you are. They have a different plan for you. Anyway, it's fun seeing... And actually just being all the different with, yeah. well, for me with Melanie, it's great because it's just like, she sees me at work. She sees me as a mom, which was a thing I didn't bring at my consulting spot. I actually really wanted to hide that I was a mom. I, I didn't tell most clients for the first year and a half that I was a mom. I was afraid it was going to, I was afraid I would look weak or limited. I was afraid I would look limited. Yeah. If they found out I was a mom of a young child. Yeah. And so I, that also motivated weak boundary setting. Let's put that. So anyway, it's nice having an environment where the yeah. tone is, yeah, I'm leaving at five o'clock because I'm picking up my kids. So I am curious to know, before we go into a bit more detail, I'm curious to know what your husbands are like, because you're talking that you talked about what it's like being mom and your kids are obviously the same age. You've both got boys, which I find fascinating. Yeah. Again, we're just still your leading yeah. women in your world, both at work and at home. What are your husbands like? What do they do? Are they, is it, how's the balance at home? Balance is crazy because we have no, like, I don't have family nearby. He's equally demanding career he's in finance so 
It's a partnership. I think just to also answer your question. So one of the reasons why Audrey and I can relate to each other quite a lot is that so my husband is also in finance. He works in private equity. And I think what kind of just adds a little bit to spiciness of our setup is that he commutes to London. So we are, we're based in, the, in Zurich as a family, and he commutes to London more or less on a weekly basis for a couple of days e- each week. So I think our family life has also been, you know, impacted and by a lot of also just organizing. Luckily, I would say that's one of my strengths. So I am very organized. Our weeks are planned, uh, though we have it figured out. But it is also, it's been difficult. There also, there are conversations where it's like, you know, um, you know, is it you or me? Or, you know, we're both tired for that stuff. We have a business trip and, you know, my parents cannot come. So who is the one that canceled? Who can push it? And so on. It's not the majority. And I think what has been really where, you know, we may talk about female allyship, but I have to say my husband is the strongest ally that I have. And he's the one that from the beginning has always pushed me. And it's also one that is contributing because it was clear that in order for me to advance my career at Novo Nordisk, there are more opportunities, significantly more opportunities in in, in Switzerland than there are, for example, in in the UK. So that's when I, I moved from Denmark. We deliberately moved to Switzerland, where I am from, where we have family that can support us. And it meant that my husband would commute. And of course, that, that takes a toll on him, but he does it. And actually without uh, hardly any complaints. So I think that is also, that is re- really also what it takes. And uh, I think to Audrey's point, and it is, I thought it was a bit of a weakness of mine, but I'm starting to try and reframe it. I have a lot of women and we have a lot of couples in our group of friends where both are driven and have careers in advance. And I think that also, it has also become our support network because in the beginning, it also felt a little bit that you're constantly on the defense bench also in your private life where people are like, what, you bring your kids five days to nursery? That's crazy. And you only went on maternity leave for five months. That's crazy. And I'm not saying that, you know, There are not other choices that are equally good, but this worked for us. And I think we were also just trying to find a setup where in a group of friends where you're not constantly the crazy person. Just like-minded people. Yeah. Every woman is going to have a different opinion because there are as many women as there are, there are that many ways to be a mom. And I come from a family where my mom is a family therapist who focuses on early childhood development. So I get an earful about, and what I don't get from her telling me in my ear, I get in my inbox on like, how to manage it. And it's beautiful and appreciated. And I love the resources. At the same time, it's like, how do I then define what it means for me to be a mom? And what do my husband and I agree on? And we had to really like, for me in consulting, that, that was exactly the question. It was me trying to keep up with kids that didn't have family responsibilities. And my husband was encouraging it, like a 10-day work trip. And I was kind of just like blinded by the motor inside me and go grow and do and grow and do. And the like affirmation of what I can do in, a, in this work environment, I felt great. I was on fire. And then I was coming home and it was not 
easy. In fact, that was hard. That was the hard stuff. And at a certain point, my husband looked at me and he goes, what kind of mom do you want to be? Like, is this what we were looking at when we were going to have kids? Because right now, I don't just, we need to look at this. And we did. It was painful, that question. Really painful, by the way, but important. Because I also had to take a step back and look at, okay. And what was beautiful about it is when I took that step back, realizing I am not going to miss opportunities because I took the time to be a mom. Those opportunities are going to keep being there because I am who I am. And I don't have to jump on the next big project that's going to take me away from my kid. And owning and realizing that like life will keep unfolding and it will keep being great. And I can enjoy where I am in this moment and like be patient with that process. And that like little by little, like owning that I'm a mom, like what that means and adopt, not adopting, embracing that definition and then embracing that on top of being a professional. So anyway, there's this huge constellation that comes together. It's interesting. So you both touched on it in terms of that feeling that you can be a mom and, you know, you talked about being that authentic self. When you, and I know from times in my past, when when you're home being a mom, you pretend you don't have a job. And when you're at work, you're trying to pretend you're not a mom. And it happens to everybody. I suppose when you're talking about paving the way for other women, you've clearly got that balance right. So what is it? What are the things that we do to therefore pave the way for other women? Because, and you touched on it, Audrey, when you said, whose responsibility is it? Is it the individual's responsibility or is it the organization's responsibility? I would argue it's, that, but it's both. I fully agree with you. It's both, right? It's an organizational and a managerial responsibility, but there is also a personal part that everyone and every woman also has to play. If we stay with the managerial and the organizational part, I personally believe also from own experience, but I think also then we'll see what we have been doing. There's some structural things that help. So, you know, working from home and having working from home as something that is recognized to be normal, okay, everyone does it. And it's not just, you know, the individual contributors, it's as much the exec that also does it, helps. Because it is easier to have a day or two where you can also work from home and juggle a few things on the private side as well. And I do it regularly. So my Thursdays, I work from home and, I, and it helps me to make my life work better. I think there are other elements when it comes to, you know, how long of maternity leave do we grant? Because not every country is as advanced as the Nordics, where you get a, up to a year paid. And I think that could also, that can also help. I do also believe that they're, you know, talking about it and actually making it a topic is important because just purely the fact that it is okay to voice that you have personal needs when you are a parent or actually also for other reasons. And I think that's also something that I've, you know, I'm embarking on a learning journey is, you know, my, my biggest need is to balance my, my work and in my private life, but I, oh, and that I think kids. For others, that's, I know they're super competitive from a sports perspective, semi-professionals, and that's what they need to balance. Or they have parents that are no longer doing well. So I think we should also not 
discriminate and says it's only if you're like a mom and a woman or it has it with young kids. I think there are many other parts, but I think just talking about it actually really helps and also not hiding actually the fact. So I think what one thing that I've then started myself doing is, no, I, I talk about the fact that I now I'm off because I picked up my kids. We have flexible work hours. So people are not supposed to be in the office from nine to five. And that also then translates in my view very much to the fact that, you know, if you have a parents teacher event for half a day, you don't need to take the half day off because we anyways probably on average work more than 40 hours that stay in our contract. So I think then really like living it and talking about it is important. So it's not only, you know, I take the, I take it out for myself, but I give other people also a little bit of the freedom to replicate it because it is absolutely okay. And I would say the norm. And when it comes to me, like what I think I had to also learn and what I'm still actually learning is it is to kind of speak up when it is necessary and also be okay that there are points where I'm maybe not like, you know, as good as my job as I potentially could be if I had a few more hours in, in the day. But right now there is just, you know, something on the private side that is more important. But then also be okay that I can, I am sometimes in a bad mood when I get home because I had some very difficult meetings and as much as I did like it, I cannot leave all of it kind of the moment I leave the office. And, and that took a bit of time to also come at peace with myself that I sometimes, you know, I, I can bring some of that bad mood back home and then it impacts my kids. I'm not proud of it. And I'm working on it, but I will not be able to ever get rid of it. It's human, isn't it? And that's probably okay. I think it's, to, I mean, even if there were no kids in the picture. So like way before I had kids, I was living in Brooklyn. I had my cool agency life, whatever. I would come home. I had two roommates, really good girlfriends. Come home and the first thing I would do go to my bed I, was, I would go to my bedroom and I'd close the door and I honestly I don't normally just like change my clothes if I had come home straight from work I would change my clothes and just kind of chill and then I would come out and socialize and I this was just what I did a friend of like one, my roommate who was at the time like like my sister like we love each other and she finally after a year commented on it and she's like Audrey you just like storm in you don't say hi to anybody and you just go to your room and close the door like, why can't you just come and like sit in the living room and hang out? I hadn't even realized I did this. I needed time to take the day off and put the next part of the day on. And so even kids or no kids, I think it's human to need a transition time from like the one phase that we're in to the next phase. It's just we have to sprint until I think as a it's not a mom dad thing. It's a caregiver thing like you can sprinting into the next level of responsibility and i don't think we can wipe our day off i can't wipe my day off so quickly you have one life right and one that kind of you know in the morning when i come i would tell people kind of a story what happened in, with the kids while we had breakfast or some other funny anecdote i that's who i am that's what i do that's what defines me that's what's on my mind so i have absolutely no interest in in hiding that so that's what I talk about. 
And the same goes actually also the other way around. I'm very proud of what I have achieved at work, what I do at work. I think I, you know, we work for a company that creates impact. So I want my kids to know that. They've been at our office multiple times. They know quite a few of my colleagues. So that they, I mean, they don't get what mommy does because like to them, like both of us, right? We have a computer and we like, they're yeah. into the computer and are on the phone. So that seems like they would take so much jobs. <laughs> And they know that we like what we do. Yeah. That's lovely that they come into the office. And that very funny story on that. So that is, you know, also very young mom trying to kind of convince everyone that I still got it. I got a call from daycare that I have to come and pick up my son. And I still had a, a meeting with my boss. And I was relatively new in that position. And I was like, okay, I mean, I cannot just cancel on him. Because my child is sick. So I go and pick up my kid. I bring him to the office. And then I tell my team, I was like, listen, I have a 30 minutes meeting with my boss. You take care of my toddler and we'll figure it out from there. So that's what I, you know, that's the plan. I go and then he's very attentive. And then at some point like, is that baby crying? And I'm like, yeah, but that would be mine. He's <laughs> like, but what have you been doing? He's like, I know he's sick. And, you know, we had this meeting. So I thought I brought him back. And he's like, oh, I want to meet him. So the meeting immediately, it, it never resumed that he just wanted to eat my son. That was just funny. But goes to show that, you know, a lot of it was also in my head. And I probably could have just postponed the meeting. But, I, you know, I didn't allow myself to. So I, honestly, I love this story because you too, Melanie, like it was early in, in that position, right? And it's like figuring out also the dynamic with your own boss. And most importantly, what does it mean to be a mom? And like, there's this whole thing when we, at least for me, but it sounds similar. When I first stepped into, it's like, what, how, how do I be both? How do I be both? And a lot of times it was, like, especially with, it's like the things that you don't, plan for it's the sick kid piece and it's like how do do I talk about it do I just do it do I hide it and say I'm not distracted or do I tell everybody about it and then tell them when I am distracted which by the way is now my approach now I'm just like it is all out there if I am a sick kid I'm like I'm home I can take this call I have a sick kid and when that child needs me, you will notice I am going to be diverting my attention. I feel now with information is the best way to just like get over whatever conversation is going on in my head. Because the conversation going on in my head is fear-based most of the time. Yeah. So just like get it out, clean it, and then move on. Yeah. So I think there's definitely yeah. something in the expectations that we have on ourselves versus reality there yeah. yeah and you know we talked before about whose responsibility it is I know I can say from personal experience I put a lot more pressure on myself than I perhaps need to and I don't even have a boss anymore but <laughs> still <laughs> I still don't broadcast enough and I had an interesting conversation with Vicky Williams from GSK in Germany about the importance of leading with vulnerability and sharing mm -hmm. that vulnerability and therefore you, and we, again, reflecting before on how we make things different for, pe for other people coming into an organization 
it is that recognizing your own boundaries and sharing them publicly to enable others to do the same, isn't it? I think that's really strong. And it's actually also something that we say is a topic in our, in our company also as a leadership theme. How do we lead with vulnerability? Because it has then also a lot to do with psychological safety, which is, you know, the ground for how we are inclusive. And a lot of that is obviously also required if we want to advance more diverse and as a consequence, also more, more female careers. And, and I think it goes a little bit back to what I also mentioned before on, you know, it's often it's also just to start talking about. And when people used to ask me, ah, but how do you all do it? I kind of was like, oh, yeah, I know, we'll figure it out. It's okay. And I started to more often also say, you know what? It's hard. And it, it's not just okay. It also like, and because I've also gone through a period where I was close to kind of to, to the breaking point because it was too much. And I thought I needed to do it all and, and, and fast. And actually when, you know, the Audrey mentioned that the first time she came into our offsite and that was just after I had gone through a really rough patch. And I was also very open with the team because we did like a sharing session of, you know, what are we proud of? And for me in that moment, it, I was proud that I got out of that rough patch and that I figured out how life works with two kids and a demanding job. And that I had to be even more explicit on what my boundaries are and what I can and what I cannot do. And, uh, and what is interesting is that it didn't have like negative consequences. Actually, on the contrary, it was much more, it started to open up completely different conversations. People started to tell me that I'm a more credible leader. So a lot of it also goes to say that sometimes it's in our own heads, but it is also influenced by what we were meant to believe on what it takes to be a leader, right? Because I think at least when I defined leadership, it was a lot about the strengths that you portray and the conviction and how positive you are and driven. So a lot of very strong attributes and that is changing. And I think it's changing for the better. At least it's definitely changing for the better for myself. And that's why I really want to reinforce that message and like get it out there because it has helped me so much. And I think there are others that are, will, and can benefit from it. So I have a couple of questions that I want to get both of your responses to. So the first one is I'd really like to know what advice you would go back, if you could go back in time, back to your 18-year-old self, knowing the path that was ahead of you, what advice would you give yourself? Okay, so I think I have two thought one is advice that was actually given to me and then one is how I would pull that through the advice that was given to me was my dad at my first job I have a big personality yeah I take up space and I didn't know how that was going to fit in my first job and my dad he basically goes Audrey you're a box of 64 crayons your job only needs 12 of them so like pick the crayons that you're going to deliver. So there's a, I was thinking actually today about this. There's a piece of that that's true. Very early on in my career, I, and for young women, very early on in their career, stay motivated, stay hungry, stay ambitious. 
and listen, watch, and learn because there's so much to absorb, right? Don't turn off the, don't even like quiet it. Just like lead with listening and then follow up with. So back to the crayons. Lead with your 12. Don't forget the rest of the box because eventually your power and strength comes in being that whole box of 64. It's just having the wisdom to know when you can start pulling out fuchsia and, I don't know, chameleon orange and whatever other colors are a little less conventional because they will have a place. So ultimately bring your whole self, listen long enough to know where your whole self is going to resonate with your audience. What about you, Melanie? No, no, it's actually, though, it sounds like the question that is obvious to ask, but I think it, it's less obvious actually to answer. It's, you got me thinking. And uh, I think for me, it is a lot also about trusting yourself and trusting your, your own intuition. And I, I'm not saying that I was like terrible at it. Even though I have, you know, an analytical job, so I, and I'm good at analyzing. I think I, I did often also listen to, you know, does it feel right or not? But then also allowing voices around you that play to the not obvious facts that kind of, you know, what looks good on paper. So that can also reinforce maybe the intuitions that, that you may have on what works for you or doesn't work for you to really then make your own path. And because I think we really all have our own story and in hindsight, most of them make sense, and, but they're not so obvious. Of course, we all can try and be as strong as we can, but you, none of us can do it on our own, right? So I think surround yourself with people that are good for you and also let you bring out those not obvious things, reinforce it and not try to put you into a box or a path that everyone else has walked over before. Yeah. And I mentioned that my, my husband commutes and we've actually, we've, we've been together for more than a decade and we've always had a commuter set up. And when I listen to it, it sounds crazy. If someone would have told me that this is how my marriage looks like, I would have told them, no way, this is never how I'm going to do it. This is not what I want. But I'm, we are very happy and it's like, we're happy as a couple, we're happy as a family. And it just goes to show that, you know, you sometimes need to trust yourself. And then you also need to find people that tell you, you can make this work because you will find a lot of people that tell you this cannot be done. I do have another one and that is not to be afraid to voice your ambitions. And when you think about it, it's a bit crazy because you will ask a small kid, oh, what do you want to become when you're older? And they can tell you anything from like a fireman to a pilot to an engineer. And you think, that's awesome. Go for it. And then there becomes a point, at least for me, it was like that. As you progress, people start asking you, but what do you want to do? And I was afraid to answer that question. And then because I was like, I was afraid that if I told them that even my, maybe the next step or two steps ahead that I could envision I could do, 
that people would look at me with this, are you crazy? And I didn't want to get that look. So I would rather kind of go like, oh, you know, I'm not sure yet. I like to learn. I want to advance, but I'll stay curious. So it was very vague because I couldn't get challenged. And it took me a while to, because I had this thing, I was like, ah, oh, at some point I would like to become a country manager. And then I had a coach and he's like, okay, tell people. And so I started and it was just so fascinating to see that the response was like, okay, interesting. So what is it that we would take to get you there? And then, so, you know, there was a conversation. And so I think that's the other advice I would give my younger self. Yeah. Don't be afraid to kind of share what your dreams are. And when they are crazy, maybe you will get a laugh, but then you also know, okay, maybe that is crazy for now. But in most cases, maybe it's, you know, there's a path that can get you there. So now when we've talked about like women in business, but let's talk women in leadership, that's what it looks like. And it's not just women to women, it's women in leadership, period. I have a couple of people that report into me and I start with exactly that question. And one of them said, I want your job. And I said, awesome. I'm getting it. Let's do it. And let's like, what are we going to do to get you there? I think we should be encouraging that kind of stretch mentality. It also helps us to define what are the rings on the ladder to help individuals build up to that. That is a role of a leader to grow their team. And if we do our jobs well, we also grow out of our role. So encouraging bold ambition. I'm totally on. 100% 100% Melanie's book. <laughs> right. I have the very last question and we do have about nine minutes left, but I have to ask the question because I ask every single guest that comes on this show. So have you seen the movie Sliding Doors? Oh, you paper. see two shaking heads. No. <laughs> no, it's Sorry. absolutely ages old. It's a Gwyneth Paltrow movie, probably from the early 90s. Essentially, the story goes... She gets the train every day to work. One day she goes to get the train. The train doors close just as she's about to get on it. She misses the train. She has to turn around and go home. And she gets home and she finds her husband's been cheating on her. And then the rest of the movie plays out how what would have happened if the doors hadn't closed and she'd have caught the train. And you see both versions of her life. And that's why it's called sliding doors. And that pivotal moment of her life was those sliding doors. So you've both touched today on times in your life that were perhaps tough that you had to come back from. Now, whether or not they are your pivotal moments, I don't know. But my question to you is, do you have what you perceive to be your sliding doors moment? And do you ever wonder or imagine what the alternative world would look like for you? I had one. As I mentioned that I was, you know, into medicine and wanted to become a doctor. It was actually as far as like I did the entry exam. It was the first time in my life that I didn't prepare for an exam, which made no sense in hindsight, but I didn't get in because of one point. And I think that was you may call it destiny or I don't know, because I'm very happy kind of where I ended up. But that was a moment where clearly what I had worked towards and what I thought I would become within seconds turned out to be something completely else. And I had to reorient myself. I did leave myself the option that I can go back to it, but I didn't. 
And I do believe that my life would have turned out differently. Maybe not. I would have still become a mom because that is something that I always wanted to do. I most likely would have married someone else. And I think the whole setup would have been very different. Wow. Wow. One point. That's crazy. <laughs> what about you, Audrey? Yeah, that's a sort of really big question. I know. Sorry. Um, I always leave it till the end as well. No, don't apologize for that. There is. So there's one that I like think about often. The thing is, I have like a zillion small ones. Like. Similar to Melanie, what if I had stayed pre-med? What if I hadn't gotten the agency job in New York and I had stayed in LA, which is where my family was at the time? What if I, I mean, there's like so many things. For me, the partner I chose has changed my life dramatically. I am from small town Ohio. I went off to university upstate New York, ended up in New York City. Probably would have stayed in the U.S. my entire life. There was a path of a different relationship that could have turned into something very interesting. So then sometimes like, oh, I could have ended up on Capitol Hill. No. <laughs> I ended up in Zurich. Okay, so here it's because I married this also small town Austria guy who somehow randomly ended up in New York. But this was completely unscripted. Like where I am in my life was completely unscripted. I didn't see any of this coming. I, I don't know that I had a grand vision for how my life would unfold, but Zurich definitely was not ever on my, ever. Like Vienna was on my. So the partner I chose, he's my sliding door. My mom and I had this talk recently. And we talked about the other sliding door. And it would have been a nice sliding door as well. And she goes, Audrey. That was good. You got best. But I thought that was such a beautiful way to talk about like how life unfolded. Yeah. Was... So anyway, the goosebumps. I'm gonna, gonna, I'm gonna wrap it up and thank you both so much. And thank you both for taking the time. I know how busy you are, and it's absolutely incredible that both of you individually have taken the time to come on and do this. I've absolutely loved having a double interview for the first time. So thank you for making that happen. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks for having us. <laughs> and that is it for another episode. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget, you can now also join This Girl Cam as a member where you'll get invited to join our recording sessions, some regular mentions on the show and discounted or free tickets to our live events. To find out more, head to patreon.com forward slash thisgirlcam. Finally, go to thisgirlcam.com to subscribe to the show and get notified about every new episode. You can also find every interview I've done in print and find out who my guest is for the following week. You can follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook, all under this girl cam. Thanks again, everyone. Bye for now.